Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Jimmy. And we're the Talk to the Hand podcast. Hello, Beth. Hello, Jimmy. How are we today? We are good. The sun is shining. And we're ready for episode 29. 29. We've had a couple of sadder episodes over the last three weeks. We've obviously done Lady Diana and we we talked about Michael Barrymore with with Chris Evans sandwiched in between the two. Yes. So I wanted to go for something a bit more light today. Yeah. Okay. Who are we going to talk about? We're going to go with Neil Buchanan. Oh, Art Attack Man. Yes, Art Attack Man. (laughs) So there isn't a great deal of controversy this this week. No, so it's that'd be just, nice. It will be nice change for us to be able to talk on a more positive note. Yes. What do you remember about Neil Buchanan? Is it just Art Attack? Oh, morning shows. He did those, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. And uh, obviously Art Attack, but just distinctive enthusiasm mm. for children yeah. and entertaining. He did. He did have that. You often see him crop up now in newspaper articles with, you know, those clickbait titles that are, you won't believe what yeah. he looks yeah. like today. Yeah. And he looks like him, but older. <laughs> <laughs> As is often the case with those kind of titles. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to talk about Neil Buchanan. We hope you enjoy listening to the story. But for now... Let's rewind to the 90s. Born on October the 11th, 1956, Neil Buchanan spent his childhood in the suburban area of Aintree in Merseyside. He often humorously mentioned that he and his sister resided in the rough part of the posh part of Aintree. Neil pursued his education at the Liverpool Institute High School, now known as the Liverpool Institute of Performing Arts. During his formative years, like countless other children, he was a Avid reader and a massive fan of the comic book, The Beano. Oh, that's good. We don't get comics anymore, do we? I used to read The Beano, yeah. Dennis the Menace. Yes. And my brother used to get The Dandy with Desperate Dan. And did you then swap? We did, but we were both kind of into our own oh, one. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, I remember, was it Walter, the, the little nerd who lived next door that Dennis <laughs> the Menace always used to play the tricks Aww. on? Comics emerged as the primary and affordable source of entertainment for kids during Neil's childhood, considering that television sets were still relatively expensive. The broadcasting landscape was limited to BBC and ITV. Could you imagine just two channels? What would our kids imagine? Well, they wouldn't know any different. If you took it back now, it would be a massive impact. I mean, what would our son do without his eight-second YouTube shorts? (laughs) (laughs) So ITV... In an era when most televisions remained black and white, even with the introduction of colour in the late 60s. Now, despite the limitations, Neil found joy in watching cartoons on the family's old TV set. He would even create his own animations, projecting them onto a screen to infuse a sense of liveliness into the flickering light. Neil's artistic talent was nurtured and encouraged by his biggest inspiration, his father. They often collaborated on artwork and Neil held a a deep admiration for his father's drawing skills and warm demeanour. That's nice. You love that, don't you? I love that. I think it's important that father and his child and the mother and his child. Yeah, any parent. You're getting defensive there now, aren't you? (laughs) Any parent who influences their child in a skill like that. But it's to have a bond, I think, that's important. Yeah, yeah. Growing up as a typical kid, Neil enjoyed simple pleasures like crafting homemade fishing rods for trips to the Canal Bank and exploring the rural areas of Liverpool with friends. While he initially aspired to be a footballer, like many of us did, Mm. which was likely influenced by him living near Liverpool Football Club, 
His interest gradually shifted towards art and music as they took centre stage in his life. Neil's passion for music ignited when he learned about the Beatles and the profound impact that they had on Liverpool. Inspired to become the new scout sensation, he purchased a second-hand guitar from a local junk shop. However, the guitar lacked strings, prompting Neil to doodle makeshift ones until he could afford to buy the real thing. I'm imagining that a, a guitar without strings is going to be something of an issue. Yeah. Yes, but I like the creativity. Yeah. I'd love to see what it'd look like once yeah. it's um, finished. Did you ever make one of those when you were in school, guitars? So you used to have like a tissue box, like if you think of yes, a Kleenex and box, with, the gap. With, um, a, with a kitchen roll out the top of yeah. it and then elastic bands yes. down the side of, bing, over bing, the bing, hole. Bing, bing. You've still got yours, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> the evolving music scene, influenced by chart-topping bands, led Neil to shift his musical preferences. So in the 70s, bands like Queen and Led Zeppelin followed in the Beatles' footsteps and embraced a more rocky sound, often classified as heavy metal. And intrigued by this style, Neil and his friends formed a band called ACDC, with Neil taking on the bass guitar. Ironically, another unrelated band based miles away in Scotland and unaware of Neil's group adopted the same name. Consequently, Neil's ACDC had to rename themselves to Marseille, possibly inspired by the French town. I can't think of what else could have inspired no. Marseille. <laughs> Throughout the final years of school, Neil and Marseille performed at various gigs, hoping to raise funds for Liverpool Art College. Unfortunately, Neil faced a setback when his application was rejected. The principal insisted that Neil had to choose between a future in art or music, signalling one of the pivotal moments in his life, even though the significance of this rejection wasn't immediately apparent. So in a later interview, Neil revealed he'd auditioned to become a presenter on BBC's Blue Peter, despite having no prior experience of television at that time. And the subsequent year marked Neil and Marseille's inaugural television appearance on Battle of the Bands. Their triumph in the final at Wembley not only secured a £5,000 prize, but also got them a contract with Mountain Records, and that led to the release of their debut album, Red, White and Slightly Blue. So at this time, Neil has chosen music over art. It appears to be yeah. the case because he's been rejected on the on the television side of things, but yeah. from a music perspective, they seem to have had something about them. Now, yeah. I knew he was involved in music, and we'll hear later on that he does go back to that passion but I didn't realise that they'd actually been quite good. Good, yeah. yeah. In 1978, the band graced television screens once more, this time on the Saturday Banana. This occasion marked the initial encounter between Tim Edmonds and Neil Buchanan, even if their interaction may have been brief. The un unfortunate sinking of Mountain Records left Marseille in a precarious position. Unless another record company extended an offer, financial woes looms for the band members, including Neil. Ultra Noise Records stepped in with a new contract in 1982, but due to legal complications, the band's equipment remained stranded in the USA, requiring two years to resolve paperwork. Oh, that sounds very messy. It does seem that sometimes bad luck like that, a record label folding or a legal yeah. case around some of the equipment. If you remember when we talked to Errol from China mm. Black, mm. there was a legal case that really led to the downfall of that, that group in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Neil perceived this situation as unjust and chose to part ways with the band. Marseille's once prominent fame and supposed fortune dwindled, leaving Neil in a financially challenging position. He later disclosed living in a one-bedroom flat and resorting to eating cornflakes straight from the box. What's wrong with eating cornflakes straight from the box? If I'm in a hurry in the morning, I do that. <laughs> 
Neil began scouring the local newspapers for either a proper job, in inverted commas, or a band to join. A particular advertisement in the music newspaper Melody Maker caught his attention. The ad, seemingly for a children's programme, which he assumed was Tiz was, had a peculiar question. Have you ever had breakfast with a gorilla? <laughs> Responding with his trademark humour, Neil wrote back, No, but I did let a monkey sit on my lap and included a photo from his younger days featuring someone in a monkey costume. His witty response secured him an interview with TVS, prompting Neil to embark on the lengthy journey from Liverpool to Southampton where TVS was headquartered. TVS was interested in Neil for their programme, number 73. During auditions, alongside individuals like Sandy Toskovich, Nick Davison, Andrea Arnold and Patrick Doyle, Neil showcased his talents. They were all questioned about their abilities, and Neil likely entertained the TVS production crew with some caricatures. Ultimately, Sandy, Nick, Andrea and Patrick secured presenting roles on number 73 as Ethel, Harry, Dawn and Percy, respectively. Neil secured a role as an occasional artist on the programme, albeit in an unofficial capacity. This was likely facilitated by the unique encouragement of researcher Tim Edmonds. Mm. Remember earlier yeah. on we talked about his interaction? Yep. Yeah who vaguely remembered Neil from the Saturday Banana. The number 73 producers, who were also part of the Saturday Banana, needed a convincing reminder about Neil and Marseille. Even though he lacked any productive or directive control over TVS programming at this point, Tim found himself tasked with devising a new concept for the children's game show, which eventually became On Safari, hosted by Christopher Biggins. Number 73 made its live debut on January the 2nd, 1982 at 10.30am, exclusively airing to regions of England that could receive TVS broadcasts. The show was set in a fictional house, supposedly the 73rd on the street, hence the title, Number 73. Each episode in the first series, which ran for an hour and 15 minutes, featured competitions, musical or talented guests and cartoons. So a bit like you're going live. Yeah, absolutely. It was one of those children's shows. Mm. But someone shared a picture on Twitter the other day mm -hmm. and I looked at it and I could not believe how young Neil Buchanan looks at this time. Oh, really? He looks like a baby. So I'm just going to show you the picture now. Oh, yeah, he does. Well, that's a lot of hair. That is a lot of hair. <laughs> he does look so young. I mean, if you told me he was 12 or 13, I would, yeah. I would buy that. Yeah. And I didn't realise that's where Sandy started from. Mm. I did used to watch number 73, but I don't actually remember much about watching it. No. I remember no. the red door and the yellow yeah. lettering of yeah. the 73, but I don't remember a great deal about it. In the initial three episodes, Neil was designated a secret admirer as submitting drawings of Ethel, Harry, Dawn and Percy. These pictures were later displayed in the number 73 kitchen cupboards. Neil's exclusion during this period might be attributed to the travel time from Liverpool and the high accommodation costs in Southampton. However, Neil made his first on-screen appearance in episode 4 of number 73, emerging from a large pop parcel wheeled in by Percy. The popularity of the first series prompted the start of series 2 in the summer of 1982. When series 3 commenced in 83, significant changes were underway. In January of that year, the children's weekday block, Children's ITV, began, replacing Watch It, along with the launch of a new breakfast division, TVAM. Number 73 became part of TVAM's Saturday morning lineup, alongside TVAM programmes like Wackaday, featuring mm -hmm. Timmy Mallet, Tommy Boyd, and future Austin Power star Mike Myers. I didn't know that. No, he started, no, wow. he started in, uh, in children's TV. Yeah. Wow. Neil was officially hired as a permanent presenter of number 73 from his series alongside Kim Goody. 
Series 4 introduced more creative freedom for Neil beyond just being a presenter. He was granted the opportunity to create his segment within the show, showcasing art made from common household objects. Oh, that's this a talent that the... I could see. I could see him developing yes, and evolving. Yes, definitely. Around that same period, he secured a role in new TVS children's programme, Do It. According to Look In magazine, shortly after the fifth series commenced, Neil collaborated with Nick Staverson to create music tapes. The plan was to send these tapes to various record companies upon completion with Neil playing the guitar, composing songs and Nick providing vocals. While this idea had been in the works for some time, the grandiose plans never materialised, leading to Neil and Nick to continue focusing on television and of course number 73. After the conclusion of number 73, which was swiftly rebranded as 73 in 1988, Neil moved on to host Motormouth, another Saturday morning children's programme produced by Television South alongside Gabby Roslin. Buchanan remained with Motormouth until the show's cancellation in 92. I remember Motormouth. I remember a bit yeah. more about Motormouth than I do about number 73. Yeah. Do you remember the big lips that yes. they used to yeah. sit in front of? Yeah. So the programme was launched following the decision to axe Number 73, which had run in the same slot since early 1988. Number 73 had been revamped during the final series. However, the new 7T3 setup was expensive and difficult to produce, so it was decided to switch to a fully studio-based setup. This new show was produced at the same studio complex as its predecessor, and many of the production team and several presenters transferred to the new show, Whereas number 73 had included an inherent narrative storyline, the decision was taken that Motormouth would have a straightforward magazine presentation mm-hmm. format. Yeah. And I think that was more common around a lot of these right. children's television yes. programmes at the time. Yeah. The studio set for the first series was dominated by several giant inflatable elements, including a giant motorised mouth from which the show took its name. In the second series, billed in some cases as Motormouth 2, there were changes, including an introduction of new graphics and set elements based on cogs and sprockets. The use of the giant mouth declined following this alteration. I mustn't have been watching it by then, because I don't remember the giant mouth not being a part of that show. In 1990, Neil took on a role that really made him very well known to, to most of us, Art Attack. So he was involved right from the off in 1990. And the original programme was actually created by Neil himself and Tim Edmonds, who Mm. keeps cropping up. Yeah. They first collaborated at Southern Television in 78 while doing number 73 and the programme Do It. But the initial art attacks were featured as a segment within Mm. number 73 and they gained significant popularity. So Nigel Pickard, the executive producer of the children's programming at TVS, he approved that pilot due to that success. The Art Attack pilot was filmed at an abandoned swimming pool in Gillingham in Kent in 1989. The full series commenced the following year. And following the loss of TVS's franchise, Tim Edmonds and Neil Buchanan secured the rights to the show themselves. And they produced Art Attack through their company, The Media Merchants. So they utilised STV Studios as the ITV company to broadcast the series, facilitated by Picard's move to Scottish Television. And in 1993, another former TVS employee, Peter Yuri, established Television Support Services. And that was a production management company that managed and co-wrote all of Media Merchant's productions. So he's moved into the business area yeah. and ended up taking up the rights to Art Attack with his long-term collaborator, Tim Edmonds. Yeah. In March 2000, the rights of the series were acquired by Britt Allcroft, subsequently Ghislaine Entertainment, in a £14 million transaction. A reboot launched on Disney Junior in 2011. 
And that was something that was massive to Neil because when he was a child, he'd always dreamed of doing some cartoons for Disney. Yeah. So by then purchasing the rights to his creation, Art Attack, he did get his work onto Disney. Onto so Disney. that was a big tick for him. Yeah. So the reboot ran for 97 episodes until it was cancelled in 2015. In 1991, Neil hosted the British version of Finders Keepers, and that's a, a room raiding game show for Television South and Scottish Television. Neil continued the final series in 1996. In 1993, alongside Tim Edmonds, again, they created Zap, and Neil appeared, produced, occasionally wrote, and provided the voices for all of the Zap characters, including Daisy. He also presented Animal Crazy, 94-95, for two series, with co-host Jenny Powell, a show produced by Granada Television. He also presented Animal Crazy in 94-95, with two series, with co-host Jenny Powell. From 95 to 97, Buchanan hosted the awards show, the CITV Awards, offering viewers the opportunity to vote for their preferred CITV award winners. Buchanan briefly appeared as a guest on Celebrity Juice on the 8th of November 2012 during Series 8, Episode 11, in which he discussed ending Art Attack and his current activities, which of course included... Playing with his band. Absolutely. So in September 2020, though, he hit the headlines again, and this was fantastic. A conspiracy theory online claimed that Neil was actually Banksy. Yes, I remember that. Banksy's identity has famously remained unknown to the public and mystery has surrounded the identity for decades. Mm. But the rumour began to circulate when a Twitter user suggested it was rumoured that Buchanan was in fact the mind behind artworks like Balloon Girl and Love is in the Bin. Mm. They explained that the theory was given credibility by the fact that Buchanan, like Banksy, is a musician and art has followed in cities that Buchanan has actually done his shows in. Yeah. The claim then swept the internet with one person arguing that Buchanan is known for his big outdoor pieces mm-hmm. utilising multimedia props. It's my favourite part of Art Attack. And it was so good. He'd be in a field and you'd see it from the bird's eye view of him doing it. Yeah, that was really And cool. you'd always wonder what it was going to be was, when yeah, you finished. Yeah, you'd see a bit and you'd be like, no, that's not in his sheets and folding. And it was sort of fast forwarded, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was really good. <laughs> so Neil issued an unequivocal denial of the rumour that he was Banksy. His statement read, We have been inundated with inquiries over the weekend regarding the current social media story. Unfortunately, this website does not have the infrastructure to answer all these questions individually. However, we can confirm that there is no truth in the rumour whatsoever. In an interview, Neil stated that he has no desire to return to television and that music and touring with his heavy metal band Marseille is now his main priority. As well as rocking out on stage, Neil continues to paint and draws professionally and showcases his impressive talents online. So he's got his own website that you can go on to and you can see some of the work he's doing now. As an artist, having now surpassed his lifelong ambition to create a cartoon character for Disney when they acquired the rights to his Art Attack format, he now spends most of his time painting and exhibiting his own work and photography. Meanwhile, Neil's 20 series of Art Attack continue to air on television worldwide, from Canada to Australia, China to South and Central America and all over Europe. From his early days at Southern Television, collaborating on shows like Number 73 and Do It, to the inception of Art Attack as a mere segment within Number 73, Buchanan's artistic genius remains as a key moment of children's programming. And as we wrap up this episode, it's worth noting that the resilience and adaptability demonstrated by Buchanan and his co-creator Tim Edmonds. Taking ownership of Art Attack after TVS lost its franchise, they navigated the shifting landscape of the television industry, ensuring the show's continued success through their company, The Media Merchants. 
Buchanan's legacy extends beyond the TV screen, inspiring generations to embrace their artistic instincts and find joy in the art of creation. In the grand tapestry of creative minds, Neil Buchanan's contribution stands out as a vibrant thread, weaving together the worlds of imagination and expression. His impact reaches far beyond the confines of TV screen, leaving an enduring legacy that encourages all to unleash our inner artist. And that is the story of Neil Buchanan. It was really hard to do the research for Neil, wasn't it? Because there, there's not a great deal of information out there about his, his life. So no. it took quite a lot just to get the, 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 the raw strands of info that we needed. But we do know... He is married and he's got two lovely children. He does. So but we don't know nice. a great deal about the... The, the way that he got with his wife and that kind of thing. Yeah. Most yeah. of the most of the information we've been able to find has been about his career. And we're talking about a man who had, outside of his family, two core passions, art and music. And he's managed to have a real real success in both of those areas. And I like the fact that, you know, you know what I'm like, I'm such a romantic and end of... He's still fulfilling his dreams. So he did his music, he did his art, and now he's gone back to his music. And that's what he wants to do now. And isn't that so lovely? He's covered both passions in his life. Yeah, and you have to imagine he's financially secure enough now to be able to do what he'd like yeah. to do with yeah. taking over the rights to Art Attack. And then we talked about how far spread that is still being covered today. Yeah. So he'll yeah. still be earning money from all that work he did back in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. So that gives him the freedom to go and pursue the other passion, the one he had to put on hold for a while yeah. due to other opportunities due to the record labels failing and he's able to go and perform now and quite often you'll see stories of him with his guitar in his hand and his graying hair dressed in quite a different way Gosh. than the old red jumper we remember him in yes viewers should definitely go back and have a look at him now it's amazing yeah, i enjoyed that one thank you jimmy it was Good. different wasn't it it was it was it was nice and like you say we've had a couple of sort of sad ones the recently. last recently and it was nice to get back into that reminiscing of the 90s for our listeners too. That's great. Thank you, everyone, for joining us again this week. Really hope you can stay with us for next week's episode, which we look forward to bringing you. But for now, talk, talk to, to the, the hands. hands.